The mob was already waiting for James Werg by the time the Greyhound bus eased into the station in Montgomery, Alabama. Looking out the window, Zwerg could see men gripping baseball bats, chains, and clubs. They had sealed off the streets leading to the bus station and chased away news photographers. They didn't want anyone to witness what they were about to do. Zwerg accepted his worst fear. He was going to die today. Only the night before, Zwerg had prayed for the strength to not strike back in anger. He was among the 18 white and black college students from Nashville who had decided to take a bus trip through the segregated South in 1961. They called themselves Freedom Riders. Their goal was to desegregate public transportation. Zwerg had not planned to go originally, but the night before, some students had asked him to join them. To summon his courage, Zwerg stayed up late reading Psalm 27, the scripture that the students had picked to read during a group prayer before their trip. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The psalm began. But there was another passage at the end that touched Zwerg in a place the other students didn't know about. Though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Zwerg's parents had forsaken him for joining the civil rights movement. That same night, he had written a letter that was to be handed to them in case he was killed. It explained his decision to join the Freedom Riders. Zwerg called his mother to tell her where he was going. Don't go. Don't go, she said. You can't do this to your father. I have no choice. I have to, he said. Well, you killed your father then, his mother replied, and she hung up. The Greyhound bus doors hissed open. Zwerg had volunteered to go first. The mob swarmed him as he stepped off the bus, yelling all kinds of profanities. Then, as the mob grabbed him, Zwerg closed his eyes and bowed his head to pray, The Lord is my light and salvation. Of whom shall I fear? And then the mob dragged him away. Well, you can read the rest of Zwerg's story online. He was beaten within an inch of his life, but he survived. And the story... Reminds us of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, although his work survived, Stephen didn't. Stephen was the first known believer of Jesus to die on account of his faith, and you can read about him in Acts. Now, James's work wasn't beaten on account of his belief in Jesus as the Savior, but you can link his desire to seek justice for marginalized people to the Bible. So, in a way, you know, they were connected. One thing about this story, if you learn more about it, is how Zwerg lived out the commandment here by Jesus to love your enemy and pray for them. That's what he did in the years following, except it wasn't perfect. Zwerg had deep feelings of guilt and shame and anger, which led to to depression, drinking too much, and thoughts of suicide. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Another one of God's impossible commands. 
Actually, earlier in the text where Jesus says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, well, that sounds doable, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds like an attainable command. But then Jesus says, but I say, if we were kind to the folks who are kind to us, we're merely behaving in a human way. And isn't it true that we want forgiveness for ourselves from Christ, but when it comes to justice for those who do wrong, like raging angry mobs up to no good just to harm people, well, they deserve the harshest punishment, punishment right? But all of this, look, all of this, the point Jesus is making here is for you and me and any hearer or reader to die to self. And put away our pride for being able, able to live, <coughs> excuse me, able to live up to the Father's standards. We aren't able. We're able to do the you've heard it said stuff, but not able to do the but I say stuff of God. Not on our own, anyways. And you know, the cool thing about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from Matthew is Jesus seems to be rewriting the constitution of Judaism right here on the spot. It's, it's kind of like if George Washington were to, were to come by and, and tell us that none of us understand the constitution. Here's what it really means. <laughs> That's what Jesus is doing here. He's suggesting to his disciples here and to any hearer today the unfathomable grace of love of God. That's, that's what he's telling people. When someone strikes you on the face or hits you from behind on account of Jesus, go the extra mile and turn the other cheek. Give freely and love the enemy. Pray for them that they would not suffer the full consequences of their sin as you do not have to suffer the full consequence of your sin on account of Jesus. The Old Testament ways of Moses and the Israelites limited the amount of retribution, but with Jesus, he wants no retribution at all. That's his Father's task, if it be his will. And this is hard for us, though, because it sounds like a way to get stomped on, right? Taken advantage of, chewed up and spit out. You know when you hear Jesus tell you not to retaliate, you wonder what planet he's talking about. Certainly not earth, where human beings live. Jesus should spend two minutes in a preschool playground. There he'll learn a a new definition of retaliation. What about a middle school or a high school, where just in the last ten years or so, retaliation is carried out on smartphones? for all to see and young lives are ruined by it I have to admit I can't follow this commandment I didn't have any love for bin Laden and I don't remember praying for him either after he took the lives of 19 of my colleagues it's either a reflection of my lack of faith or an unwillingness to act on his command or I really do live in a world where This love your enemy thing is impossible. But then in our last verse of this gospel text, Jesus drops the ultimate bombshell. Be perfect, he says, as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
well, a current colleague of mine, teaches uh, courses in Christianity up at Concordia in Portland. And he and his students were discussing this very text uh, this last week in class. And one of his students kept insisting that as long as we try to be holy and live righteously, then we attain perfection. We don't actually have to be perfect. Just doing our best and trying gets us there. And my professor friend was awestruck at this student's amazing mental gymnastics to get around this command. God was saying something to her she could not bear. So she mentally did what she had to do so she didn't have to bear it anymore. This is a sickness with Christians of epidemic proportions. We can't bear the text. <laughs> we can't bear 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We can't bear Ephesians chapter 5 and many more. So we dismiss the meaning of the text to preserve our own ability to meet God's demand. The question is, should we be doing that? I'm pretty sure we shouldn't. We should be letting God speak His purity and truth and clarity. And I pray this young student will come to know this truth and that is, Jesus doesn't command or even ask us to become perfect. He invites us to be perfect by His doing. See, the standard of heaven is not trying hard, not having the right motivation or being better than most people. It's trusting in Jesus. Jesus is the perfect one and He has given you His perfection in baptism. In baptism, you die to self. The old person is drowned and a new person is raised up from the water. This means we are indeed the wretches we often feel we are because we haven't met the standard and jumped the bar that God has set so high, yet at the same time, you and I are perfect in every way. Not by our own making, but by the blood of the Lamb that was spilled for you on your behalf on Calvary's hilltop. There's an old Latin name for this truth that we don't speak much anymore. We don't say it much anymore, but some Christians still do. It goes like this. Simul justus et peccator. Simultaneously a sinner and a saint. Sinful yet righteous at the same time. You would think the first part, the sin part, is the harder part for us to say, but it's, it's been my experience and since being a pastor that it's the second part many have a problem with. We are our worst enemy sometimes. And it's hard to accept we can be perfect even if God gives it to us, makes us that way. Maybe that's the stumbling block. Perfection is a free gift, undeserved. And that feeling of undeserved, undeservedness, undeservedness <laughs> might prevail in some. I get it. But it need not be so. We need not to believe the lies of the devil when we have such a great and mighty friend in Jesus who fights for us and has already won the victory over sin and death. Your feelings can't change that. Your stumbling blocks can't change that. So why not jump on the tank and join in the victory parade down the street, down the road, 
Look, we may never, and I pray we never do, end up meeting death the way James Word did. But let's face it, angry mobs full of rage are not just things of the past in a civil rights history lesson. They're still out there today. And they're mean as ever, out to do harm. It's a little harder today to get away with violence and murder than it was in 1961. What with, you know, everybody recording things on their cell phones these days. Nevertheless, the enemy still has deep hatred in their heart. Jesus teaches us to rebuke evil. To rebuke evil people. And up to a point, lovingly and patiently try to correct them. But when they strike back, do not resist. Go the extra mile and love and pray for them. It's a controversial teaching. Often misunderstood. I mean, I'm not sure I fully understand it. It's debated over the centuries and not always lived out by Christians. Yet, in it we see the love of God for us. God was totally generous, generous to us in giving up His Son to death that we would have life and have it to the fullest forever. So we can learn from those like James Word who, who have gone before us as a testimony to the truth found in Jesus Christ, especially when one is found facing incredible opposition and death. Above all those who witness to Him, we have Jesus. May He continue to strengthen you through his word building you up in love and in service to others that others may see him and have life too amen